and welcome to the Career Canvas podcast, where we explore an inside look into different industries from future leaders, their work, and their stories. Today, we are finally blessed to host Josh Hauser. And I say finally because Josh is one of the first people I discussed this goal with a while back. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ruben. It's good to be here. As I was mentioning before we started, I really didn't want to get on this podcast. I don't like the way that my voice sounds. So hopefully this is going to be great. And, you know, I pushed it off for a little bit, but here I am and I'm really happy to be here. Just so you know, you have one of those soothing radio voices. On that fun note, Josh works as an M&A, mergers and acquisitions, high-tech lawyer representing high-tech companies in their ongoing work and financing rounds. He also represents investors and buyers in their investments and acquisitions in Israel or Israel-based companies. I get that all right? Yeah, you did great. That's exactly right. Well, I did my research. So most people who work have a contract to sign. Besides for that, what would constitute ongoing work? It's one of the things we discussed that you're helping companies with their ongoing work. That's right. So as you mentioned, people that work in a company have to sign a contract. It's typically an employment contract, but they also have as individuals, they have a lot of other contracts that they may need to sign, whether it's an option agreement or separation agreements, depending on what happens with the company. There's a lot of work that goes into not just with employees, but like you said, ongoing work. And that could mean your other stakeholders in the company. Employees are just one of the many stakeholders that a, that a company has. That includes customers, shareholders, your board members, but also general corporate governance. So we want to make sure that the company's operating properly when it comes to filing with the government, right? If you have to file anything with the Israeli registrars, we make sure that they do that on a proper time. Nobody likes bureaucracy, but it's a part of life and it's a part of companies. So we ensure that they are up to code and decisions that need to be made with the proper corporate organs, so like the board of directors or the shareholders are properly approved. Relationships with the investors whether it could be, it means sending out slides once a month or once a quarter, however often it is, we'll review those at times, make sure that the companies are meeting their requirements that investors have sometimes. From start to finish, we want to make sure that everything is kosher as it can be so that when we talk about financing rounds, as I mentioned, as you mentioned as well, then everything is up to code and ready to go for when it happens. Kosher, you mean compliant? Brochures and compliance, and absolutely. <laughs> one, one way of describing it. Okay, so it sounds like it's riveting work, or a lot of paperwork is what it sounds like. There's a lot of paperwork, it's true, but a lot of things are very interesting when you get into the nitty-gritty of it. You know, it sounds, sometimes it can sound tedious and... and Dry, maybe. Fantastic word. Thank you, Ruben. But a lot of the things, a lot of questions that come up are very, very interesting questions. And you never, you never, you never really think about them until the question's posed to you. That's the beauty of working with startups is that every day is different, even though a lot of the stuff is repetitive. And if I've seen it once, I've seen it twice, I've seen it three times, there's always going to be something that's new and different. And you have to start thinking outside the box, starting to figure out how and who do I speak to, to make sure that everything is right and that we're giving the right advice, protecting our client, but also making sure that we're not impeding their ability to conduct business. Now, we're not here to be, to block business from happening, but we're to make it happen in a way that the company is protected so that it has a bright future. 
So that's actually a really nice way of looking at it, that even through all the bureaucracy and the and the paperwork and the what we called dry, that's still serving a much bigger purpose. And it's actually fundamentally helping companies exist. Can you give an example of something that was creative or out of the box that you were able to save a company either from their investors, their shareholders, their employees, the world at large. One of these, an example of something that made the dry work really exciting. No, nothing's that interesting. That you know creates a situation where you're you're saving a company from itself or from a com- from its investors or anything like that. Thankfully, it's a little less a little less exciting than that. It's still exciting, but I guess maybe it's just for me. Um, I, I find these things very interesting. Just today, we had a question about whether or not shareholders were entitled to a certain right based on their articles of association. The letter of the law of the wording in the article says one thing, but the spirit and the intent of it ha- has a different meaning. And the question came up between whether or not they're entitled to it or not entitled to it. And you really have to figure out, okay, what are the two sides of it? The rationale being X, and it makes a lot of sense when you look at it from the rationale of the shareholders and saying, yeah, of course we're entitled to this, right? On the flip side, the company saying, look, the wording is Y, and according to the wording that you have all agreed upon, you're not entitled to it. Now, where does that friction come into play, right? How do we want to play it off with the with the shareholders? Do we want to give offer it to them even though they're not entitled to it? Or do we say, look, that was the intent, and obviously we're going to offer it, but that also creates an issue with the person that wanted to to take this action. So they wanted to transfer something from what from themselves to another person, and that creates all these different questions. Do they have to, do they have to give this right to these shareholders? Do they not have to give the right to the shareholders? And I had a very long discussion with it with someone at work today, just trying to understand like, do we or do we not have to? And it wasn't a question that had come up beforehand. This the way that it was worded and the way that it came up, and I I, I was like, oh, this is great, it's something new to talk about and, and different, and you know, a little bit more interesting. It it is interesting because I would think that that I wouldn't think of a lawyer having that kind of conversation. That sounds more, I guess, businessy. If I'm thinking about it, I, I, that's why we're on this. We're doing this uh, podcast. So I can understand a little bit more what you do. I mean, I know you for how long has it been now? Fifteen years. It's been a while. It's been about fifteen been- years remaining. Something crazy. I don't want to talk about it. And but, counting. It's great. And counting. But it's, I always thought of uh, lawyers more in the, like how we get the paperwork then? Litigation, paperwork, make sure that our behinds are being covered and less in the business development aspect of giving advice to companies of how they should navigate scenarios that come up. But you're saying there's so, yeah. both of them. There's a lot of there's a lot of times where our work overlaps with the business side of things. We are advisors. A lot of these companies, it's their first time doing something. And you said high tech companies, so we represent a lot of startups from day one inception. Two guys, three guys, three women, two women, whatever it is, they come to you and say, "Look, we want to start a company. We need a founders agreement. We need to incorporate a company." For them, it's the first time they're doing this. And every question that they have is something that we've seen before, whether it's once, twice, three times, a dozen times. Every time that they have one of these questions, it's something that we've seen and we know and we can give from our experience. And that's the beauty of working with dozens of companies over the years. You have where to get inspiration from. And if it's not something that you're super familiar with, then someone else in the office or in the department 
has that experience and can say, yeah, Josh, this is what we did in this one. This is an idea that you can use and implement here. And we really have a bank of knowledge that we create. And it's super helpful to founders for their first, it's their first time doing this. Everything for them is new and scary. And, you know, investors are asking questions and coming at them from all different directions and a lot of legal paperwork, right? All that stuff is intimidating. It can be scary, but we're there to hopefully ease the process and give of ourselves and the knowledge that we have, whether it's on the business side or on the legal side, where hopefully we're the trusted advisors that can give that information and really help the company in its growth stages from, like I said, from inception to exit. There should be a lot of exits. Amen. So we said the M&A, mergers and acquisitions. Can you define the difference between them and which one do you come across more often? Are you more involved with mergers or acquisitions? So mergers and acquisitions are, are two ways to do the same type of, of deal. When we talk about mergers and acquisitions, we're saying essentially it's one company buying another company. The difference is in the structure of how it's done. So a merger create, takes two separate entities and merges them into one entity. One of the entities disappears and the other one is called the surviving entity and holds all of the shares, the, the, the knowledge, all the, the rights within the company that it, that it merged with. And that's in a merger. There's two types of acquisitions. One is a shared acquisition where you buy all of the shares from the different shareholders. So for instance, let's talk, talk about a public company, right? Apple just crossed the $3 trillion mark. That if you take- Hope you have stock. Of course. <laughs> if you take this, the valuation of, of Apple at $3 trillion and you divide it by the price per share, you'll get the number of shares that there are in the company that are available to the public. If someone wanted to buy all of the Apple shares, that would be a share deal. And they would buy all of the shares and take Apple private. No longer being a public company, but becoming a private company. So we do the same thing with public with private companies, where a company can come in and will buy all of the shares from its shareholders and essentially make it have one sole shareholder. That's a share, share deal, and that's one type of acquisition. And the other type of acquisition is an asset acquisition, where you buy all of the assets of a company, but you don't buy the liabilities. So you'll take all the good, but you'll leave all the bad. So if they have debt or outstanding liabilities, that stays with the other entity, and you just buy the assets that you want. You can pick and choose a little bit more. Why wouldn't everyone do that? It sounds Our, like if you can only buy good and leave all the bad away, that that seems like a pretty clear, I hope you as a lawyer are giving people that advice. It's not always as straightforward as it sounds. And there are a lot of benefits to buying liability. Right? There are a lot of tax implications and ramifications that are discussed with attorney, with accountants and so on that make it, sometimes it's more more beneficial to do a share deal or a merger than it is to do an asset deal. And really every structure is different, but sometimes it's just, uh, it's also a, a coming together of two entities, right? You want to, at the end of the day, when you're buying the assets, you may also be buying employees or when you're buying the company, you're definitely buying employees and all of their shareholders and their state, you know, you're buying all the shares, you're buying all the assets, the, the, the IP, everything you have to integrate that somehow into your own company now to create something better, right? The idea is to take one plus one equals two or three or four. It's not to say one plus one equals zero, right? Which can happen if a deal doesn't go well or the integration afterwards doesn't go well. Sometimes you'll see that it just didn't work out and that's that's not good for anyone. Right. 
Now that you're saying that there's the tax implications and other aspects of the mergers and acquisitions, when I was helping found a nonprofit, I spoke to you about it, but I was speaking mostly with accountants. Is there overlap between the work of an accountant and the work of a lawyer? Not really, actually. So the accountants and we work together. There's a lot of symbiosis, I guess, would be the word. Right? Is that a word? Sure. It's a great uh, word. Sure. <laughs> we work together to get to the common goal, which is helping our clients, whether it's the, the buyer, the seller, uh, or just an ongoing company on a regular basis. We want to make sure that we're optimizing our tax exposure. Yeah, exactly. We want to make sure that we're optimizing our tax exposure liability to do, doing everything in the best way possible. So we do work together with accountants, but they'll work more on the financial modeling and the structuring, whereas we'll deal with all the paperwork afterwards. How do we do it? What are we doing? Making sure that legally it makes sense and legally is binding and in the best way possible, but we'll work together with the accountants to get to that goal. Got it. Okay. So how did you get into being a lawyer? Was this a, a lifelong dream growing up? While you're playing basketball, you're like, well, if I don't make the MBA, then maybe I'll become a lawyer. No, when I was doing mean, it was MBA or bust, but <laughs> me too. No, honestly, I wanted to be a doctor and a lot of things didn't didn't pan out that way. Uh, being a doctor is the coolest thing that I could think of. But it was definitely between being a lawyer and a doctor. I, I'd be the first to say that a lot of it has to do with television. I loved watching ER as a kid and law and order right but that meant that i wanted to be a litigator and here i am working with startups uh, as a high-tech lawyer which is not at all what i intended when i went to law school either but here i am and you know it's working out so well well so far uh, six years in the profession and do you only work with high-tech companies or do you work with other companies as well I would say we work on the company side primarily with high-tech companies, uh, different types of high-tech companies. Some are hardware, some are software, SaaS, you know, all different types of, of companies. But we also work with investors and buyers who aren't necessarily startups. Right? There are a lot of multinationals that are working in the sphere, venture capital firms, private investors, different types of people and different organizations that are just looking to work within the high-tech sphere, which is a big bubble here in Israel of, of high-tech. And right? there's a lot of different aspects to high-tech here. Uh, we work with all of them. So it's, you're not specifically working with high-tech companies, but you're working with within the high-tech ecosystem. Exactly. Exactly. Primarily within the high-tech ecosystem. So what does it take to become a lawyer? Someone's listening to this and they saw Law & Order and they said, you know what? I like law, but really I want to be like Josh when I grow up. What, do they, what does this person have to do? So Israel, I went to law school here in Israel Hebrew. Law school here is three and a half years. A lot of people do double majors, so they extend for another year or half a year. So it's anywhere between three and a half to four years. And then there's a year and a half long internship. When I started, it was only a year internship. So now it's a year and a half. And then you study for the bar exam. Uh, not a fun period, but it, at the end of the day, you pass hopefully. And it was fun for me. I'm sure it was. I had a great time. <laughs> Josh, come play basketball. Can't, I'm studying. It was fun for me too. Who doesn't like sitting in their pajamas all day in front of a book? Hashtag Corona. <laughs> exactly. So you have uh, to then, go to school for three and a half 
years at least. You have a year and a half of stage. Does it matter what school you go to? Does it matter if you go to university or a community college, Mikhala, as far as getting internships? You know, a lot of people will say that it does. And it definitely doesn't hurt to go to university and to have good grades. But I've been interviewing for the last couple of years, and it's not the be-all, end-all of what we look for in a person and in a candidate. That's speaking at us, for us. Like, I work at Arnold Ar- 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 and we're not necessarily looking just for people with good grades or with impressive resumes. There's a lot more to it, and we look for an individual, someone who's pleasant to work with and has a head on their shoulders. We're not, we're not just looking for the best students or the people that went to the top schools. We have lawyers and partners who went to universities, who went to colleges. We've got it all. So what are the different paths for becoming a lawyer? We talked about M&A. We talked a little bit about tax. I'm, there's tax attorneys. Is there like a, in school, do you have to decide on a certain track or you sort of learn it more generally? And then you, after you finish law school, you figure it out, you meet the right people. Yeah, school's more general, I would say. You, know, you take a lot of classes in general things, contract law, property law. Uh, you can take in civil in civil law, litigation, private international law, public international law. There's a lot of different things that you can learn in school. And I think towards second or third year, people start getting an understanding of which way they're leaning towards, whether it's the private sector or the public sector. And even in both of those, there's a lot of different things that you can do. And I would say that most people towards their third year really understand because that's when you interview for your internship and you have to decide where you want to work. Do you want to work in the public sector, private sector? And and then a subsection within all of that, different firms have different internship uh, tracks. So some firms, you can do a little bit of everything during your internship and others are more niche. You join a department and you're just within that department and you're only working on what that department does. So if you're in a litigation department, you're only going to do litigation. Or if you're in a high-tech department, you'll only work on high-tech. There are pros and cons to to both methods, but each person has to make that decision for themselves. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot of different aspects. And even if you did an internship in one, doesn't mean you can't switch over afterwards. A career in law is a very long career. We're, We're young people that start typically, and it's a long time. Long time. I think also by the time we're ready to retire, they're going to keep moving the goal line away from us. It's going to be okay. Not 65. You're going to probably be, what do you think? 70, 75? Yeah. Honestly, if people can continue working then and find the balance in their lives to to work and have a life and, and do all the things as an adult with kids, grandkids, whatever it may be at that time, good for them. Yeah. I just hope that it's an option instead of something that is... As long as, we still get, as long as we still get basketball every now and then, Ravine, we're good to go. Oh, yeah. So this might be a, a hard question to narrow it down, but you've, you spoke about that you work on some deals and you think big picture. And uh, we were talking a little bit before about some of the other projects that you do within, uh, within your law firm. You do work with the interns. You have something that's called a lecture series. Is there something that you want us specifically speak to, or maybe two things that you want to talk about that uh, give you a special pride, maybe outside of the typical deal with a high-tech company? It's a good question. The The short answer is, yeah, uh, obviously it's easy to say I'm proud of the deals that I've worked on. I've worked on some of the biggest deals here in Israel. I've been very fortunate working at the firm that I work at. Uh, to lead, to be a part of 
some major deals within Israel over the last couple of years. But there's something to be said for other aspects of the job that aren't the mega deals, you know, billions of dollars. There are clients that you work with or people that you meet that make a difference, whether it's on the personal relationship that you have with them and seeing them succeed. It's just a different feeling than when you work with a multinational and buy a company. It's great. But to see two guys or three guys take a company from nothing and get that first round of financing and they say, wow, this is amazing. We're really doing something and accomplishing it. People believe in us. They see it. They see this product and what we're, what we're trying to build here. We believe in them as, as the law firm. Investors are believing in them. Their clients are starting to believe in them. It's, it's such an amazing feeling to see. Uh, and on the other side, like you said, working with the interns, I, yeah, I never thought that this would be the case for me. I never saw myself as a teacher or as a counselor in camp. And it's not the same, but I really enjoy working with interns. There's a year and a half internship, like we said, and the idea is to teach them to become lawyers and to take what we can give them and so they can learn to be the best high-tech lawyers that they can be. And whatever they do with that afterwards is up to them. But I really enjoy talking to the interns and teaching and showing them how to do things and, and really being a sounding board for them to bounce ideas off of. And it's not necessarily just interns, other associates with questions. Being able to give of myself and my experience is also really rewarding, which I never thought that I would be like a teacher kind of situation. But it's really, really great. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll be a mentor. I think you already are. <laughs> This is Josh being modest, everybody. This is Josh blushing. <laughs> so speaking of being a mentor for the interns, do you have your own mentor that, that you follow that gives you advice that helps keep you on the good path? Thankfully, I'm very blessed in that sense. Uh, I have mentors both at work and not at work. Uh, outside of work, my parents are really really there for me all the time. And especially my dad, who I, I love talking shop with business. You know, my dad's a, an accountant. We talk business and finance and, and life in general, you know, working with clients, working within the firm, seeing how things are going. And he's just a, such a good sounding board, him and my mom. But to talk to them and to really learn from them and their experiences has been super helpful and really impactful on my, my own life. And within work, I'm also very fortunate. I work with a lot of different partners at Arnon Levy, Arnon Tudmore Levy, and I'm very fortunate in that they give me the, the the space to to learn and to make mistakes and to grow. And every year, they give me more and more responsibility as time progresses, so that I can become the best version for myself and become the best version of of myself for my clients. And really, just very fortunate to work with the team that I work with. To say specifics, let, let's go with the general view. Let's go with the general view. You don't want to get, you don't want to make anyone upset. Uh, the answer I'm, is I really a am. lot of people. A lot I of really people. am very fortunate at the firm that, that I work with. It's really, really a great place in that sense. Well, I don't know the people at your firm. Well, I know some of them, but I don't know the people that you're referring to. But I do know your parents and they're wonderful people. And I enjoy talking to them as well. And I've enjoyed staying at their house many, many times when we were studying for the psychometry when I sort of moved in for a while. <laughs> Welcome anytime, Ruben. <laughs> well, thank you. I won't, I won't tell Talia. <laughs> um, so also before we were talking about a lecture series that you were running, what does that mean? 
So it's not just myself that's running it. A lot of the associates and the partners within the departments and the firm as a whole has a lecture series that we try to enrich the our interns with different types of lectures. So a lot of them are professional so that we as associates and partners give over a topical lectures that have to do with what we do in the department. And the firm as a whole gives different lectures. They had a mindfulness lecture or they had a time management lecture and different types of things that'll help them within their careers in their internships and later on. Um, so specifically, I've given lectures over the years on share purchase agreements and articles of association and really just giving of my knowledge and my ex experience working with different types of investors and companies, what to look out for, what not to look out for, uh, how to draft certain things, what we should be thinking about when we're when we're drafting, what we should be thinking about when we're each side, when we're the company, your your thought process is different than when you're representing an investor, right? You're you have different expectations and different different needs and wants, right? So each time you look at a document, you have to send which side am I on of this of this transaction, and then that informs your decisions as to what I'm looking for and what I should be talking about and negotiating. So I'm just one of the first people that gives part gives a lecture in these lectures. Lots of different topics within our world. That's really that's really interesting. It's really nice that your that your firm is doing that. The truth is, my company does that also. Every every week we have something. We have a text session. I work in tech, and I'm learning about all this like random stuff that I. I mean, it's not random, but it's not things that I work in my day to day about cloud architecture and things of that nature that are not what I do. It's a nice feeling to also have to know that your firm or your company is looking out for you. Exactly. Giving you a well-rounded education, not just in the things that are relevant to you, but also in other topics that may be not necessarily what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, but have some sort of touch or, or are adjacent to what you're working on. Gives you a little bit of a bigger picture. Has that given you any desire to be a teacher, maybe go to a university and teach uh, law classes or something along those lines? Honestly, every time I give one of these lectures, I'm impressed to myself again that I, that I've done it because public speaking, it doesn't come naturally for me. I learned how to give a lecture in a class in the army when I was in course knocking, but since then it's been a long time, but every time I do it, I'm just like, oh, this is actually a lot of fun and a lot really interesting. And and yeah, one of these days it would be cool to, to give a lecture series or be part of a lecture in a class at a university or a college somewhere and, uh, and teach high tech law. It's nice you had the opportunity to learn public speaking. The first time, I don't know if you if you had this experience, the first time that I tried to public speak, my stomach felt like it was gonna literally explode with all the butterflies that were trying to get out of it. I was sweating bullets. Like I, I remember sweating. Yeah. I was also in the army. Like I'm standing there just like in my uniform, just like, oh my God, is this thing gonna end ever? And I, I went way over time that I was allotted. I was like given like 40 minutes. I spoke for like an hour. I couldn't, they couldn't shut me up. <laughs> too much knowledge, too much fun. <laughs> but then once you <laughs> once you start speaking, it's like all those butterflies, at least in, in my experience, they sort of dissipate. And when you get in, you get into the flow and then you do it the second time and a third time and a fourth time, and that's gets you to that next level. Yeah, absolutely. The more you can talk about something and then the more ingrained it is and you, you're better at it, more articulate. Every time you do it, the better you get. So you're going to have to go on a lot more podcasts, even though you're doing a great job now, just saying your voice. <laughs> uh, your parts, I wanted to ask you, uh, there's, 
two different tracks that I've noticed of my friends, you and other people that I've been in, in law. One of them is staying in law, in law firms and going through um, whatever that track, hopefully you'll explain a little bit more. And the other one is, is going what they call in-house in different companies and being a lawyer just for those companies. Can you describe the difference between those two tracks and explain the pros and cons? I can try the pros and cons, but sure, I'll try to give a brief explanation on the on the different tracks. I guess the first track that which I'm in is is staying at a big firm, where you have a group, a support group within your your firm. So you have everything that you need within the firm. You represent multiple different companies. Your external legal counsel, right? The companies come to you for things that they can't do in house, which is the other track, uh, and you're there to be. Typically, it's a lot of financing rounds or M and A's, and and like bigger picture kind of things but you also have that whole the, the whole everyone around you the surroundings so you we've got ip lawyers and we've got commercial lawyers and we've got a litigation department and we have a tax department the other the other track is the in-house track which is typically more you know commercial related privacy related corporate in-house they're not necessarily going to have every type of lawyer that we have at a big firm and so whatever they can handle in-house, they'll handle within their with their in-house lawyers. And it's a different, it's just a different type of day-to-day working. You're working at a startup, at a company, within a legal department that handles whatever that department needs. So you, you know, if you look at it and say, oh, I have I have 30 clients that I that I work with on a day-to-day, the company and an in-house lawyer has technically one client as which is the company that they work for, but they also have many stakeholders that they work with. So it could be the CEO, it could be the sales team, the, the privacy team, the, the customer success team. Everyone has something else that they're going to need. So they also have to answer to a lot of different people. Pros and cons, I it's hard to say. I, I've never been on an in-house, on the in-house side of things. The, the pros of being at a big firm are, hey, you work at a big firm, you get exposed to lots of different companies and different clients and different types of transactions than you may, more so than you might have at a company. But you also get that whole, like I said, that whole background of people, right? You have someone to get the answers that you need. So if they have to ask their external legal counsel, I may have to ask questions as well. I'll have to ask my tax team and then I'll get an answer and I'll learn something new about taxes or I'll ask the commercial IP team to understand something about the license that we're working on. And yeah, and I'll learn something new. So for me, I get to work with all these different types of experts in their field and and learn new things. Every time I work on a transaction, I'm going to learn something new. So you're able to get a lot more education in a big firm, more rounded education, get a stronger foundation maybe. I don't want to say that, that, that that's a stronger one, but you definitely get a very good education if you want it. In-house probably has that same type of aspect. If you are the one talking to your external legal counsel, you'll hopefully get the same information and the same education. But for me, I really like working at the big firm that gives me all that, gives me easy access to all that knowledge. That's That's wonderful. We only have a couple more minutes left, but I wanted to ask you, uh, if you had to write a book, a different type of question, tomorrow, <laughs> today, right now, this second, what what are you going to write it about? Oh, Ruben, you know the answer to that before you even asked. Well, Obviously, it would have to be personal finance. I'm a big advocate in financial literacy. Uh, it drives me a little crazy that people don't understand the basics of financial literacy. Something that should be taught in school here. 
Um, my dad and I talk about it all the time. It's one of those things that every person should know how to do. Balance a checkbook, understand what money is, the value of money. It's not just something that comes into your bank account and you pay bills, right? It gives you a lot more than that. And you have to understand how to protect it and how to keep it and how to save it. There's a lot of aspects in our lives that we don't necessarily understand at a young age. But as we get older, more and more things pop up. And all of a sudden you're like, wait, how am I going to pay for this? What am I supposed to do with this? How do I manage my money? And how do I, how am I going to, how am I going to live my life and do what I need? Right? Every, every Israeli's question now is how am I going to buy a house? Right? So, so that would be for me, that would, that would be the topic that I would talk about and write about. Well, when's it coming out? Let's go. You knew this was coming. Yeah. I'm working on it. I'm working on stuff. Just working on stuff. You're going to start with a blog. Maybe, maybe you start with a blog and then you turn into a book. Exactly. Exactly. Start with a blog, you know, mix in some legal and legal and financial advice kind of a thing, but not necessarily advice, just legal and financial aspects uh, into a blog and see where we can go from there. I am. I'm waiting, as you know, very eagerly to read this blog should we should we put a timeline on the on the air oh no pressure remain <laughs> um yeah so this has been really really fun uh it's been i mean i i talk to you all the time but getting this aspect of it we don't usually go this deep into what it means to be a lawyer specifically an MA lawyer working in a big firm in israel representing uh, high-tech companies which is one of the biggest aspects of Israel, Startup Nation. So you have a really big part in not only the huge, massive deals, but also in training the next generation of lawyers while you are adding to your own repertoire. And it's exciting to see where you're going to take it. Try my best, trying my best, you know, one day at a time and we'll see how things go. But obviously, if anyone's listening and wants to understand more about high tech law, feel free to reach out. If you're in law school or just have, an, have some questions about what it means, feel free. Um, I'm, Definitely take uh, him up on that, everybody. <laughs> yeah, really. I'm, I'm on the website at Arnon Sudmore Levy. Uh, on LinkedIn is Josh Hauser. So feel free to reach out if anyone wants to. I'm going to reach out. So thank you for listening, everybody. Josh, thank you for finally joining. And it was, it was my pleasure, Ruben. Thanks for having me on. I'm ready for the blog. <laughs> <laughs> Peace out, everybody. <laughs>